have received a card. If you would be so kind to uh, pass that card to the middle aisle, have some gentlemen who will be taking that up so that we can have a record of your attendance. And if you are visiting with us, let me encourage you to stick around for a little while that we have an opportunity uh, to get to know you. Here's what I have found out about the 70 West congregation. Hot Springs, Arkansas is a hub of people moving. There are a lot of different uh, states represented and even different countries represented in this congregation. It is so uh, vast that you have even let one from the dark recesses of Alabama join your midst, and we certainly appreciate that. We're going to look at an interesting, I hope, an interesting uh, view of faithfulness as we look at football fans uh, today. Now, if you live in Indiana or North Carolina, if you live in, uh, in those type places, basketball, and I am a big fan of basketball, but here in the deep south, here where we say can't and ain't and y'all, Football is the king. If you want to watch a sport, we watch football, whether it's professional football or college football or high school football or junior high school football or peewee football or if we just play football in the backyard. We love football. And even if you don't like football that much, you have at least realized that you live among us and that you need to be able to fake your way through a conversation. And so, as I look around, and I was trying to figure this out in my head the past couple of weeks, I know of at least four SEC teams and probably more college football teams than just those four who are represented in with this particular crowd uh, even today. The fans in college football are, are very loyal. They're very passionate. The fans of football from Iowa State named their children. I'm not laughing. After their favorite teams. Some version of that. Let me give you an example. Brandon and I know this fellow who named his first son William Paul. Now that doesn't mean much to you probably. Didn't mean a lot to his wife until you research a little bit and find out that's Bear Bryant's name. <laughs> and that's a true story. Our, you know, sometimes we wish those things weren't necessarily true, but they are. Somewhere between 75 and 100,000 fans crowd into stadiums every week to watch... 11 people on offense and 11 people on defense move an oblong-shaped ball 100 yards. And they love it. And I, I kind of understand why. I like to watch it myself. We've just dealt with the national championship. The NFL is in their playoffs. And as we have our minds somewhat toward football, let's learn some lessons from those people from the stands that perhaps we can adjust to the pews. Notice this. 
Fans are educated. Fans know the past. They know coaches. They know players. They know the present. They know what the win-loss record is. They even know what the depth charts are, what the, who the coaches are, perhaps even what the coaches' birthdays are, the coaches' wife's name. They know what kind of car they drive. They are educated. They know everything that you can possibly know, and whether it be true or false, they know it about their favorite team. And sometimes it is the fact that the Bible class teacher will ask a question and would get this response. Brethren, we've had this book, as I made mention in class, at least 43 years. Much longer than that. And we don't know what's in it. We are not as educated as those fans. Why do I know more about a player or a team than I know about the holy God that I serve. It is the fact that way back when, way back when football was played, I used to like to watch the San Francisco 49ers. That is a fact. Let me tell you how far back that goes. Joe Montana Ronnie Lott. That's how far back we go with that. Can anybody tell me the kings of Israel? I can give you where Jerry Rice went to college. Some could even give you his grade point average. Can you tell me what David's second wife's name was? Fans are educated. And education is, is my responsibility. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1, God says, you learn it, you know it, you do it. And he's speaking there to the Israelites, but in principle, he's speaking to me. And in principle, he's speaking to you. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28, Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor. Notice what he didn't say. I'm going to come and get you if you're having problems. It's my responsibility to go unto him. It's my responsibility to find out what that salvation is, and it's my responsibility to obey that thing. Notice this. Why should I be educated? First, I want to be like God. I want to be godly. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, if I want to live godly and presently in this, in this present world, that's, that's how I'm going to be. I'm going to be educated. Why? Because realistically, I don't know about God. I can look around this world. I can see the beauty of nature. I can see all those things that he has given to me throughout this world. And I can understand that there is a God. But without study and without education, I don't know what he wants. Does he want anything? Does he expect anything? I want to be educated so that I can please God. I want to be able to stand before him as Michael read so eloquently for us and have him look at me and say, Well done. You did good. I appreciate the effort. I appreciate the work. But it's necessary as you and I look at why we're being educated of, of how. If I'm going to be educated, it's going to take the same thing that it would take for a, for a fan to be educated. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take study. 
Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. There you'll read, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. As you look at that particular phrase, there's an understood subject there. It's not even written down. It's just understood. You study. See how individual that is? You study to show thyself approved. You know what that means? As much as I would love to, I cannot study enough for Tim. As much as I would love to, the things that I know in my head, uh, Jim doesn't know. Maybe, well, probably does. See, the things that I study, the things that I know, I know. And you can't know those without study. He's also told, we're also told to be a workman. See how personal that is? That I am required to stand before God and I am required to show my work. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 13, 15, and 16, we're reminded of, of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Think, know, and do. God tells us you're going to have to be educated, and this is the way you're going to have to be educated. It's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to take time and effort, and you and I should put the same amount of time into studying God's Word as we do what our coaches and our players are doing. Not only are they educated, fans are dedicated. It's about this time of year when the playoffs, the NFL playoffs are really going, that the wind begins to kick up and it begins to be very blustery and, and 30 degrees and perhaps sometimes it's even raining or snowing. And at the very beginning of, of football season, it will be so hot out there you could fry an egg on the seat. And people flock there. And people save up money in order to get one of those seats or, or two of those seats. And there are some days where Team A and Team B are playing and they just can't, they just can't finish it up in regulation and then they will go to overtime and we get giddy. And we think, hooray, it's overtime. Now we get extra football. By the way, I only have 16 minutes left. There is no overtime. Is there? Let's be real honest about it. There is no overtime, is there? We want it done at 11 with everything. Tell me something about God and let's move on. Really? When it's high times, when it's low times, when it's just average, mediocre times, those fans are dedicated. They're always there. What about my dedication? Do I really want to be like Christ? There is a statement I have used in the past and uh, I have gotten away from using it because it sounds sort of brash but I think I like it enough I'll use it now. You know, I really don't want to be like Christ. God required that Christ die on a cross. Is that how you want to be? Christ was dedicated. At 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, he's studying with the old, knowledgeable men in the temple. And he's teaching them. In, in John chapter 4 and verse 34, his meat was to do the very will of God. In John chapter 6, he once again speaks of the will of God. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, for the night's coming. 
when no man can work. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, he set his face toward Jerusalem. What an interesting phrase. He set his face. He had a determination to go. In Matthew chapter 26, as he is crying out to God in the back of that, uh, in the back of that garden, while he has already poured out his heart and he said, this is going to require everything that I have and I... Is there another way? The very last thing he says is, Thy will be done. It's a fact in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21 that Christ demanded that we be of that same dedication. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the, the will of my Father. You see in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the revelator writes this, Be thou faithful unto death, as Jesus is speaking, and he says, I will give thee a crown of life. As we look at that, we also see that Jesus describes the expectation that, that he desires in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25, and then once again in 59 through 62, he says, unless man love mother or father less than me, unless man love uh, sister or brother less than me, you see that dedication? You see what God says? I will be first or I won't be at all. That's an interesting phrase. I will either be first or I won't be at all. Hmm. Do I want to be like Christ? Do I want to be dedicated like that? Do I want to be educated like that? Notice this. Fans are prepared. They know when they go to Green Bay that it could snow or rain or just be a freezer. And so they bring appropriate wear. They, they clear their schedule. They, they buy those tickets. They make preparations for travel and for stay. And yet Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24, beginning, the Hebrews writer there writes about a group of Christians who meet, who fail to prepare. Look over in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 24. Here's what he'll write. Uh, let's start in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You see those first three verses that would say, let us, let us, and let us? You can continue that thought process in the English language by saying this, and let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much as to see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for us. You know an interesting idea here in verse number 22 through 26 is that you and I should from Monday through Saturday be preparing for Sunday. That we should be living those lives in, in preparation for this day, for this hour, for this time. I say this a lot when I direct camp, but it's necessary at times to say it even here. This is the most important thing we're going to do all week. This is how we should be prepared. 
Notice this preparation that it takes. It takes a prepared mind. John chapter 4 and verse number 24, for God's a spirit. And they that worship him, notice this word, must, must, must. Not could possibly, not should possibly, but, but must. If I'm going to worship God, I must worship him in spirit and in truth with the proper actions and with the proper attitude. There's a mind of reverence, there's a mind of repentance, there's a mind of remembrance, and all of those things go into how my mind is prepared in order to worship God. If right now you're thinking, is my pot roast burning? Go check on it. Because you're not here. You're there. Notice this. Not only do I have to be prepared in my mind, I have to be prepared in my money. As we look at the idea of our um, items of worship, generally our item of worship in giving uh, tends to go this way. Well, what do I have that's left? What if God gave me what he had left? in my salvation? What if God gave me what I had left in the oxygen that he prepares for me or, or my food or the place that I live? God constantly thinks about us and at times we don't think about him. It's because we're not prepared. I cannot purpose in my heart if I figure out what I have left in my wallet that I can give after I realize that I'm going to go get something for lunch and I need that for that. So we'll put that over here to the side. It is necessary for us to be prepared. It's necessary for us to be prepared when we sing, when we study God's Word, when we partake of that Lord's Supper. It's necessary for us to be prepared when we go before God's throne in prayer. It's necessary that we be prepared when we, when we uh, give our money or give God's money back to Him. By the way, do you know why God requires His children to give? All the rest of those things, we almost automatically get something out of. When we sing, we feel better. When we, when we pray to God, uh, a burden's been lifted. When we study God's Word, we feel a little more educated and a little closer to God. When we partake of that Lord's Supper, we remember that sacrifice that was given for us. What do we get in giving? You and I get to understand, hopefully, the mind of God as he gives to me. This is where I learn how to be godly and godlike and provide for those who need it. And so we look at fans that are educated, fans who are dedicated, fans who are prepared, and fans participate. In Texas A&M, uh, there is a home field advantage with the entirety of the student body. The, the entirety of the student body there is called the 12th man. And I, if memory serves me correct, they don't sit down the entire ball game. I am not a fan of Texas A&M. I have to sit sometime. That, that's advantage for them. You can hear those fans as they participate in bad calls. You hear boo Sometimes it will be so loud that you can't hear the commentators on the television. 
You'll see when they have big hits or when they score or when they block field goals, you'll hear those fans erupt. Do you participate in worship service? And when you're meeting with the church, notice this, worship service is an, uh, it's not an observation. It's not a time where I can just sit back and observe everybody doing this or that. It's, it's an offering. In worship, I sing, I pray, I give, I partake of the Lord's Supper, I study while, while the preaching is going on, and none of those things are observational. All of those things are first individual, and secondly, collective. Notice this, first, I am required to do all of those things. But, if I do none of those things, the church is still going to do all of those things. It's first me doing those things individually, and secondly, I do those things collectively with the church. Look at my daily walk. When, when I leave out of those doors, does my vocabulary change? Do, do the places I go or would go if, if Billy or Michael were with me change slightly? Do... Am I a different person out there than I am in here? If so, you need to really read and concentrate on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now add to your faith knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance, you see how that list goes? But where does it start? And add to your faith. See, without that, you have nothing to add to. You can't put those things on top of, of nothing. As I look at my life, I see Galatians chapter 5. I hope that you see Galatians chapter 5 in your life, that the fruit of the Spirit are these things. The fruit of the Spirit. This is one who is, who is being fruitful for God. This is one who is being a child of God and a faithful child of God. And these things are clearly seen within his life and not relegated to the four hours he's inside this building. Fans are educated, they're dedicated, they're prepared, they participate. And notice this, fans are continual. Fans are interested in their team, and they're interested in their team when they're not doing well, when they are turning the corner, and they're interested in their team when they hope that they will do well in the future. There was a, a specially wonderful time in my life and that was the years in which Mike Shula was the coach at Alabama because they lost a lot more than they won that's always a good thing but as you look at that and you look back in history you see where the change happened and now as they go forward every year they play for a championship every year why? Because those fans were clamoring for someone who could turn those things around. They were interested in that program doing well. Do I even care if the church exists after I pass from this life? Am I doing anything to help the future of the church? Am I doing anything to help to promote the gospel or to, to win lost souls or lost brothers? Well, the answer to that, I hope, is yes. And I hope it is the fact that uh, while you're doing those things, you are thinking automatically of lads to leaders. 
That's a fantastic way for us to make sure those, those activities in the future continue the way they have been. If I'm going to be continual in my action as a Christian, I'm going to have to understand this. Interest is the key. In, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. Why? Why those that are lost? Why are those who have such a checkered past? Why are those who are, who, as we look at them, we kind of go, mm, those guys may be suspect. It's because they're lost. He already has the saved. He wants the lost. Why? Because they don't know. They don't know exactly where they are headed. In order to, be, to have interest, that's going to be shown by my involvement. If you look at uh, the idea in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, we need to be actively, actively reaching the lost. And here's how easy it is. If you say, I, I, I just can't, you know, my, my hands, they, they get nervous and they get tingly and, and, and I begin to stammer and stutter and, and I, I, I just can't talk to people. Send a card. You don't have to say a word. Yeah, write it down. As a matter of fact, if you don't like the way that one reads, throw it away and get another one. Write it down exactly how you want to say it. Mail that to a person. That's a source of encouragement. If you have a friend who has come with you and they've been exposed to the gospel and they, they don't really understand yet, call them and talk to them. Texts. Fantastic way. Social media. Let's not ask the question, but we can, I'm, I'm guessing we would get probably 100%, if not close to it. How many of us are on social media anytime? And for so many people, social media is used for uh, pulling folks down into the same mire that they are. Let's try lifting folks up. Let's try pulling them up to Christ on that. Let, let's, let's make mention of what, what's going on here and what kind of events we have here and, and why you should be here. Let's get them here. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and uh, James chapter 5 and verse 20 teach us that there are a whole group of lost out there who don't know they're lost. In Mark chapter 16, beginning of verse 15, Jesus says, you go out there and you teach them and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You Make sure they are taught and then you baptize them. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned in verse number 16. And in verse 16, there's an interesting statement there. He that believeth and is baptized. You know that person wasn't baptized till they knew about it? You know, it's never a, a person's idea to say, hey, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll just be baptized today for the remission of my sins. What? Why would they do that? Perhaps the things that they are doing they don't even know is sinful. They need to be educated. And we need to do that. In James chapter 5 and verse 20, the one who saves that soul from hell, that's the one. Don't look at them as if they can't be, law, they can't be reached. Look at them and say, how can I reach them? Fans are continual. You know why the gospel is, is preached? It is to keep those, uh, to, to reach those who are lost. But it's also to keep those who are saved 
saved. It reaches everybody. It reaches those who are faithful children of God. It reaches those who are uh, off and on as the children of God. It reaches those who have never even heard about God. When we look at the fans and we look at the pews and we see the group being educated, dedicated, prepared, the ones who participate and the ones who are concerned about the continuing nature, do you see more of the fans doing that or more of the pews doing that? And if we're honest with ourselves and we have to say, I see it more from the stands, we need to change our priorities. We change what we're thinking about. I like football as next as much as the next person. But how much more do I love the thought of a home in heaven with God? How much more do I love the thought that that Jesus was sent to die for me? Because that's the way I am redeemed to God. That's the way I stand before God whole. That's the way I stand before God pure. And that's the only way. Which one do you love more? Would you like to hear more about that salvation God offers? It's extremely simple. God offers salvation if man will hear what God has to say according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, and also requires that I believe, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. It requires that I repent of my sin, Luke 13, 3 and 5, that I confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, and that I be baptized in water for the remission of my sins, Acts 2, 38, being raised to walk in a newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 4. Then I am his child. I'm adopted into his family. And my sins are removed. It might be the case, brother or sister, after doing those things, you've fallen victim to the temptation that has been set before you according to James chapter 1 and verse number 14. I'm drawn away of my lust and enticed. And I realize that Satan's offering me something better than God because I have completely forgotten the fact that Satan is the father of all lies and the source of lies, and he's lying to me. I think out of all the people in this world, he may have lied to all of you, but not me. (laughs) Come on. It's time to come back home. It's time to stand up out of that mire of the pig pen and say and now I come back to my senses. Now I've come to myself and I understand salvation is only found in the home of my father. I've got to go back. Come back home brother or sister. Friend, put on Christ in baptism right now while we stand and while we sing for your encouragement.